The reward is not after the suffering. There's this notion that we have to suffer through something to get to the good side, but usually it's the process that's the blessing. Dessert is not something to aspire to, but to always have in the picture. Welcome back to another episode of Stories Between Us. We're the place where ordinary stories intersect in extraordinary ways so that one day a better story can be told. I'm Stu. And I'm Modi. And it is just us tonight for this particular episode. What what we were planning on calling this joint, we tired, I think. We, 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 we are absolutely tired right now. And I think, you know, everybody, you know, in some sense is tired yes. in this moment like it's so crazy we are in yes. such crazy times so uh, how are you so doing tired <laughs> that's how i'm doing <laughs> so tired yes. so so tired but you remember oh like a conversation that we had last maybe oof, maybe it was a long time ago i don't even know time anymore but with annie any downs um yeah when she said that if you work with your brain you must sabbath with your hands so i that has really like stuck with me since then and i've been purposely trying to get out of my own head Ooh. you know what i'm saying and um yeah that was kind of good that'll preach. that'll preach you, you, run that back real quick if you that, that will preach if you, if you work with your you, brains Run that back for Then me. you must Sabbath with your hands. And if you work with your hands, then you must Sabbath with your brains. Wow. That that I think it was like this like video. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Wow, that's good. How has that hit you? You know, as you think about, you know, these last since yeah. she made that statement, like how has that resonated um, with you? It's really like put things into perspective for me because, um, you know, in this um, time, this phase in my life where I'm like really trying to set myself up for the work that I'm passionate in, um, the work that me and you are doing. And um, a lot of that Mm -hmm. really just requires Mm -hmm. our brains. And with my day job, my career, I also just use my brain all day. And in my free time, I would catch myself well, not catch myself, but I would purposely like be reading or be doing something else that still used my brain. So I was like tiring myself out, you know, every single day it seemed monotonous. But then when she said that, that, you know, um, if you work with your brain, you must Sabbath with your hands. That really stuck with me because um, one of my hobbies is painting. And I've, I kind of neglect it when I have so much going on. And I don't do it often. Mm. So since she's made that statement, I've purposely tried to carve out time in my week to make sure that I do something with my hands, cooking, painting, something like that. So this week I painted um, I painted a <laughs> painting titled, um, I just want to sit down and talk with God for a bit, talk with God for short. Mm. And my best friend, mm. Aviana, me and her, we talk almost three, four times a day. Right. But, um, yesterday we were talking, uh, and she said to me just out like during our conversation, there was a pause. And, um, she said to me, she said, you know, I just want to sit and talk to God for a bit. And, Mm. and I felt that so deep 
you know, like with mm. us talking about mm. being tired with us, like, especially the younger generation trying to find the why in a lot of things, this would be, um, in my head, I didn't really think that that was like ideal, I guess, you know what I'm saying? But a talk with God would be super ideal, but yeah, like we're all looking yeah. for answers right now. And, and those answers just not coming. Like even the most practical answer right now, when will this yes. end? The most existential question for us, when is this going to end? We just, you know, we don't have answers to a lot of the questions that we're asking. And I think there's something particularly like healing mm. about doing things, like even that statement, you know, if you sab- if, if you work with your head, sab with your hands, that there is something particularly healing about doing with your hands what you can't figure yes. out with your head. Like doing, like mm-hmm. like painting, art, um, in some sense becomes like the right. language of the heart. Or it becomes that which I imagine in my head mm-hmm. on paper. Uh, 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 or what, not, what I dream of, it becomes in some sense, you know, a reality in, in, in this moment. I think, you know, you don't get through like hard times without mm. dreaming and imagining mm. a little bit. That's, That's just real. You just you, you just don't get through hard times without dreaming. It seems that, you know, in some sense, in even as we think about history and American public life and American society, that it that out of the challenges and the chaos of people and our struggles, in some sense came our creativity. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go back right. to like the seventies, right? And yeah. Marvin Gaye, like the whole song, yes. what's going on? Yes. You know, like brother, yes. brother, brother. Now don't get me like I don't know all the words. Yes. I love the song, but I just I was actually just words, looking for that vinyl this morning. I, yes, on really? Discogs. You know that actually is a yes. fire track. Like the whole album is amazing. Is amazing. Yes. So you know I collect I don't know if you knew this about me, but I collect records like vinyls. But yeah, but like old vinyls, like I love going to thrift stores and like really hunting for these joints. Right. And um, my 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 favorite genre in vinyls are jazz and soul and blues. And that's really what I try to try to get. Like I have some early R&B R&B records like Aaliyah self-titled and Lauryn Hill and Erica Badu, like stuff like that. Right. But um, yeah, I was looking I have like a few records that I still really need and Marvin Gaye's uh, what's going on is one of them. So one of my listeners, <laughs> if you got it, hey, look out for us. Hey, email, email us. us at stories between at Gmail. What, what is that? What is our email? Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> gmail.com. Hit us up. If you know where to find that Marvin yes. Gaye vinyl, then hit us up. And I and you know what's what's so dope about Marvin Gaye, you know, as I um, you know, listened to that particular song. And, and there was a moment when I was looking at the Ken Burns Vietnam War mm-hmm. documentary. Shout out to Ken Burns for that incredible documentary. They wove in music mm-hmm. in that documentary. And I don't think that that was an accident. I think that was very attendant to the struggles of that time and the power of stories right. that we're telling and others are telling, but also the power of creativity and the power of music during that time that like Marvin Gaye, 
he is asking the deepest like questions of what yeah. we're feeling. He is forcing us to deal with our struggles of, you know, we got to find a way to find some loving yes. here today. And it's like, it's like picket lines. Uh, uh, I think that's the particular line where he's talking about this aspect of protest. He's like giving us, you know, the world mm -hmm. of the 70s and this chaos that is caused by a world, a war that we should have never, right. you know, been in. And he he just simply has that question, what's going on? And 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 I think, I think, you know, even that question, what's going on? Like the use of rhetorical yes. questions as a way of like feeling mm -hmm. deeply is incredible. Let's think, all right, so we got Marvin Gaye. Then we can go back right. to the spirituals. Were you there when they crucified my mm -hmm. Lord? Were you there? That's a rhetorical question. It's in some sense, like, like you know, this whole idea of, you know, song, story, right. music, creativity, becoming the language of the heart. Fast forward yes. to Kendra Lamar. We're mm -hmm. going to be all right. Do you hear me? Do you feel me? Well, that's a rhetorical right. question. Of course, yes. I hear you. Of course, right. I feel you. We're going to be all right. So I would love, in some sense, you know, tell us a little bit about, like, what made art for you the thing? Mm. Like, what, what did it? Man, did that it? is such a good question. Um, at the beginning of my life, um, I'd always, like, been interested in art and um, really kind of mm. just admired it. But... Um, I have this other best friend. Her name is Ariel. Uh, she lives in Atlanta and she is an artist and she's also one of the smartest people I know. And um, when we were in high school, well, we became friends in middle school, but we both realized that we enjoy art in high school. And she was the one that took the art classes. She was the one that really put her time into it at that moment. And I would just like kind of mm. join in here and there. And then she put me on to Jean-Michel Basquiat, which is my favorite artist. And I mm. started studying him because I fell so in love with his art. It was so dark. It is so dark, but it has so much feeling in it. And at the time, he was mm. including things in his painting um, that were that were a part of his time, a part of the civil rights movement, a part of like everything political that was messing up that was happening at the time. And um, all of that is still reflected in his work. And I found such inspiration in that. So I think that's where art mm. began for me. It was with Ariel mm. and through Basquiat. I think that's mm. where art really, really started for me. Um, as far as like inspirations, I get inspired by so many things. Like that one painting that I just did came from Aviana saying that to me. And then my mm -hmm. other painting that you saw um, that I titled Strange Fruit, I actually... Oh, it was powerful. Yeah, that joint was... Yes. Oh, so wow. I actually um, actually titled that Strange Fruit because that's the song that I heard when I looked at it. So I'd already made this painting and this painting was kind of not inspired, but it was... Um, as this painting came as a result of that um, mosque shooting that happened last year in New Zealand. Mm. And um, through that 
through that horrific event. And that was actually the last video that I ever watched of any tragedy. That was the absolute last one. I could not, and I didn't even watch the whole thing of that. It was maybe, I watched maybe 30, 40 seconds on it. And um, Mm. it was that one event that, that this painting came as a result of. But then afterwards, when I was looking at it, all I heard was Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit. And um, that song, when I listen to it, and especially look at this painting, it moves me in a way um, to really like feel, unfortunately, the feeling of pain that came out of that woman. I think it was a woman that wrote the poem originally in 1930, right? Um, she, Which uh, one? A school teacher. Yeah, Abel Mirapol. I think, I'm not sure if it was mm. a man or a woman. Mm. Because I know it's kind of, I think it's popularized by Billie Holiday. Yes, yeah, Billie Holiday sang it in 1939, that poem, and then Nina Simone really made it famous. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nina Simone, wow. Yes, but my favorite rendition is actually Billie Holiday's. We need to do an episode where we just like, we. I think we really need to talk about Black women and Black women's, you know, contribution yes. to both art to, you know, society, to religion, to everything. If if we're being honest, like um, black women, especially for like society and pop culture, it honestly begins and ends with, with not only black women, but like the, the black population, but black women, like as far as hair, as far as like body makeup, yes. you know, everything, Really, I, I don't want to say superficial, but everything superficial that came is from black women. Like, like even yeah, even the whole image in the South with, with baby hairs, right? That's popular now. And all of that is is not because mm. of Kylie Jenner, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. It ain't right, because of the, the Kardashians. Right. <laughs> Jesus, yes. And that, and that really speaks to like how much you know both black women are hijacked and forgotten at the yes. same time, but also are some serious like trailblazers. Like I've been, I randomly uh, slipped up on this book uh, recently. Uh, I think it was called Hands to the Plow. It was the women of SNCC, and the 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 story is like they're they're telling their story of women. In SNCC, so so for those who don't know, SNCC, you know, was probably so so during the civil rights movement, you have various um, movements within the Black freedom struggle kind of pop up. But then you also you know had had other uh, particular movements of you know Black Panthers mm. and uh, the Black Panther Party, which would be in some sense you know a tad bit later. But you also had you just had so many various movements and I, I just was was looking up this I, I just ha- got this book to entitled hands to the plow uh which would be you know the the women who made you know the black it's like personal accounts of women who uh you know were in were in the black freedom struggle that these testimonies you know just our personal testimonies of early sit-ins of voters registration campaigns and freedom rides to the March on Washington to freedom summer and, you know, movements to like black beyond that to black power 
uh, anti-war <clears throat> activism, feminists and womanist movements uh, during the 70s. And it's just so amazing. It was just so amazing to me to think about those women in that story and then even Fannie Lou Hamer. Mm. And I was talking about Ida B. Yes. Wells today. And even today, as we think about like so many black women, when it comes to, you know, across the various disciplines, I'm thinking, you know, theology, when it comes to like Kelly Brown Douglas and uh, the Lords Williams and Katie Cannon and, and all these people in theology and Will Gaffney, just these names that I'm resonating with, Dr. Chaniqua Walker-Barnes, Ebony Marshall Terman, uh, Yolanda Pierce, Mm. and then even beyond that, thinking about Nicole Hannah-Jones, thinking about- Maya uh, Angelou. uh, Who else? (laughs) Maya Angelou, thinking about, let's see, Tiffany Cross, who just wrote an excellent, incredible book called Say It Loud. Nikki Giovanni. Nikki Giovanni, Angela Davis. I mean, we could do a whole Asada. episode simply on simply. naming, right? Jeez, and and I think you know when this this right now, I think in this moment, it is also an incredible moment for us to, you know, listen to black women as we think about what democracy looks mm. like, what love looks mm. like, like what 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 does it mean to endure such gross brutality but still still able to hug another person still able to love oneself uh insane i agree it is insane the um i think i think that's where that's where i guess my respect for all all of the elderly matriarchal chairs and families comes for like you know like the big mamas the madeers right and um even for yeah. me, my grandmother, Anjuba, I think that there is such um, compassion and love through worldly mm. experiences that is shown um, that may have not benefited them, right? But they keep the same love throughout mm. it. And especially with, with Black women, especially with older Black women, there is so much that they've gone through. They went through the civil rights movement. They went through yes. segregation. Yes. They went through yes. um, having their men literally taken away from them by either the draft for a war that you said earlier shouldn't have happened and that they shouldn't have been in. Yes. Or they yes. were taken away to go to prison, legalize slavery, just to throw that in there, go to prison <laughs> and, you right. know, right. Um, be redlined out of communities and into the projects and still have to create a home within the projects, not simply a house to live in Um, a home that they were forced Mm. into is wild for me to think about. Like all of the women back at home that really played a huge part in me growing up over 80% of them live in the projects to this day. Mm. And it bothers me Mm. so um, to know that there's really not much, not much support, you know what I'm saying? For them, there's not even much mm, compassion mm. or that love that they give out to everyone given back to them. Mm. Mm. Yes. That's so real. And I, I, I was just recently reading another book, um, entitled, um, the sovereignty of quiet. Mm. It's written by Kevin Kwashi, uh, who's a professor of English and the subtitle is Beyond Resistance in Black Culture. 
And one of the interesting things he says that oftentimes, he, so he sets the book in the context of uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos protests at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the year was 1968. And then uh, the Australian brothers stood in solidarity with them with a pen. And, you know, they had their fists raised and their heads bowed in prayer, as it were. And uh, Kevin Kwashi invites us, you know, to read, to look again, that oftentimes in history, their stories have been narrated as simply mm-hmm. only a story of resistance. And the beauty of their black life has been reduced to open public acts of bravery, mm-hmm. which in some sense is commendable. And it's not, he's not trying to reimagine or reduce or, or, or in some sense reject such a view of black life. But he's asking what more is there. And I think one of the beautiful things he says, you know, is that there's intimacy. Mm. It's profoundly spiritual. Yes. And, you know, you talked about you, you talked about, you know, this older black women. My grandmother. I love I love talking about my grandparents. <laughs> I was actually at my grandmother. <laughs> I was at my grandmother's house uh, the other week. And, you know, with the COVID, everything going on, she she had me talking to her in the sun. So I couldn't even go up on the porch. <laughs> I had to talk to my grandma in the sun with a mask on. Oh, my God. But, uh, you know, my, my grandma, I, I just love, you know, sitting down and talking with her because, I mean, she's, I think, uh, don't get me wrong, my grandma. I think my grandma is eighty-six. <laughs> you know, when you get old, older like that, you yes. know, it just all kind of go together a little bit. But you know, some time ago, we had a chance to sit down and talk. You know, when when I have time, you know, I try and go home and enjoy her not so sweet tea and her <laughs> like not so salty fried chicken. And something about my grandmother is that, you know, she's an amazing storyteller that in some sense bound to my grandmother's flesh is a history in some sense that no like thread or one conversation could capture. Mm. And as a young kid, I had always loved talking to her and my granddaddy that, that my granddaddy, he has lost so much because he, he has dementia and, you know, he's, he's going through those struggles where he's repeating stories over and over and over and over again. But he has dementia and he's lost so much. But my grandmother, she remembers. She remembers it all. Those country summer nights, Mm. the signs, police and boundaries, reading, color, fat back, collard greens, fried chicken, Pentecostal shouts with long skirts (laughs) and stockings in in the heat of summertime. You know, I love talking with her also about those times in black history, particularly the March on Washington, Mm. or as many people like to call, you know, the dream Mm -hmm. speech. Uh, And you could see in some sense the joy come over my grandmother. You you could just literally see it as she, you know, took a trip down memory lane. She, She was just so proud of Martin. She was so proud of Martin in 63 that in 2020, it literally, you could see her feel that. You could you could see literally emotionally. It was almost as if like she went back to that time. There Martin was in front of all those people bearing witness, being black and free in her mind. You know, she remembers also the Civil Rights Act 
when it was passed. She also remembers the Voting Rights Act. And my granddad, because he was a local organizer, community organizer and church leader, scrambling to get all the black rural people uh, to the polls, get them registered to vote, casting the ballot. And she still actually, what was crazy is they actually still have a voter's registration, uh, original one from the time when the Voting Rights Act was passed. Wow. Now, I tried to get her to give it to me, but- Won't happen, huh? She just, she <laughs> ain't getting up off that thing. She just, she's just not getting up off it. But this is where the story changed. And, and, and I think, you know, getting at this is so important. She remembers all of that. Mm. I finally one day got the courage to ask my grandmother to talk more about what it meant to grow up black in those quote unquote, you know, those days. In some sense, as if those days ever left yeah. us. Not like, you know, history events, but like emotionally. Like, what was it like? Like, grandma, don't don't just tell me, you know, about what the happened? events. Yeah. This happened, that happened, <laughs> yeah. you know, but but how did it emotionally make you right. feel? What what was the war going on inside? What was the wounds? And I could see, yo, Modi, I could see her disposition change. Mm. And she didn't want to talk about it. And I responded, I said, okay, grandma, that's fine. It's sort of like, in some sense, like the way she described my granddaddy. Mm. He's, he was a brilliant leader, community organizer, but now he's repeating himself over and over again. That is your husband, your love, the love of your life. You see them at their heights. And now, in some sense, he's repeating himself over and over again. He's not the same person. Mm. And I and, and in some sense, like my grandma, she... She told me, uh, I asked her how her day was going one time, and she said, no day is ever good, but you keep going. Mm. No day is ever good, but you keep going. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't think I would ever know the stories that she has bound to her memory. You know, that's a part of her story that, for me, it's like, it's sad for me because I want to go to that area because for me, I feel like if I can go to that area, I can find some type of, you know, strength in this moment in the present yeah. because she's here with me. If I can go there, but I can't. I can grab her hands and tell she's been through a lot. She tells me all the good stories, though, in some sense. Like that time she about smacked my granddaddy <laughs> <up>. <laughs> That time she about smacked my granddaddy for something he did. And my grandma, she has this like high pitched laugh. Like, <laughs> she has this like high pitched laugh. It's like one of the funniest things ever. No lie. It's like one of the funniest things ever. And she tells funny stories over and over and over again that she can hardly get through it. And, you know, it brings her deep joy. And I think in this moment, we all need that, especially black people at her yes. age. That John Lewis and C.T. Vivian. Oh, my gosh. Lord, we need to do a whole episode on that. Man. You know, that John Lewis and C.T. Vivian are gone during this moment of American history. From, on one level, it's joy. Yes. It's, on one level, it's joy. But on another level, it's tragedy. Right. Because our country 
has failed them so much. Right. Like you said, um, in the text message, when we were talking about it, the, the day that they passed, um, the fact that they lived their life's work as civil rights move, um, leaders, I'm sorry, as civil rights leaders, as uh, abolitionists, revolutionaries, as um, those two brave men to live out your last days, I guess, kind of fighting the same fight, seeing the same thing, mm. seeing the same society that you spent your entire life working for, to die knowing that it kind of still has not been achieved. It hurts me so to have um, a leader. Like, I've I've really been mourning John Lewis's passing. I felt so connected to him right. and his story. And I think him and his work has been incredible for me to live through and his voice for me to hear. Um, I've really been, been mourning his passing, but it saddens me so that, that he couldn't have, I guess the um, peace and knowing that his work was for something. Right. Like him having to, him having to end, I guess, kind of thinking that that he, um, quote unquote, did the best that he could, right? And I guess in some aspect, that's what all of us strive for is to just do the best that we can. But yes, but I know, wow. I know for me personally, I want a result. You know what I'm saying? Like I want yes, yes, I want Asa to be able to grow up and not have any 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 qualms with with anything in society oh for our listeners that don't know asa is dante's beautiful little boy (laughs) (laughs) my boy my baby boy dante's beautiful son um yeah i i look at him and his pictures often and i even when he was born i mean (laughs) i made this joke when i got his um birth pictures from you that he was he was born an angry black man All right. <laughs> he was so serious. He was so serious. His eyebrows were He was so, so serious. <laughs> so serious. Yes. And even like even watching him like grow up and through the pictures, he's so serious all the time and yes. and all the time I always hope um and I think about him growing up in the society that he's growing up in right now and the fight that we mm. are in right now. I think about Asa. Mm-hmm a lot and i think about Mm. what what this will look like for him with the work that you're doing will he have to continue this or will he be able to revel in the in the joy of it Mm. will he be able to dance Mm. in the rain like Mm. symbolically and i i think about that often because it's been how many generations of kids not being able to dance in the rain right Right. It's been right. It's been how many children, especially now, how many like nine to 14 year old children that are really processing the world and every moment that that is going on for them to continuously see this pain, this trauma and this torture. What will it look like when they get 24, 25 and up? Mm. And Mm. I so desperately want my work 
as a self-titled abolitionist, I so desperately want my work to be, um, to be reflective of their future. I, Mm. yeah, I Mm. so, I so desperately want to be old and see actual change and know that there was a dark place that we as a, as a collective have worked out of. And for John Lewis and C.T. Vivian in my head from from what I know about them, not that I know them personally, but from what I know about them, for them to have these same thoughts and not yes, and not be able to see that when they die is has has really been hard for me um, as much as I aspired um, and was inspired by John Lewis Mm. to know that his last few moments were spent as that deeply saddens me yeah and i and i think this is the challenge you know of hope and even reimagining the language of hope right now you know my grandmother and to return back to you know my grandmother's story because in some sense you know her and john lewis aren't you know far in age yeah they're I mean, not. john lewis was 80 right um and my grandmother's 86 and they're close in age they went through like when we recapture and retell the story of John Lewis, you are retelling the story of so many black people who are still here. Right. When you retell the story of C.T. Yes. Vivian, you're retelling the story of so many black people who are still here. And what's so sad in some sense is for us, they are heroes, but to each of them, they're losing their friends in the struggle. Mm. That's one of the challenges. That's, that's tough. Like we're losing... You know, our heroes are becoming ancestors. Right. But these, but our brothers and sisters in the struggle, they're losing people who are deeply meaningful to them. Right. And I think this is one of the challenges of hope that my grandmother, even though she has, you know, been through so much brutality, not simply because of race in America, but also, you know, being confined to the black working class in rural South Carolina. Mm. And so dealing with, you know, not simply the the wounds of racism, but the wounds of racial capitalism Mm. and this type of economic infrastructure that, you know, has locked black folk out. Yes, literally. Not only dealing with that, but dealing with, you know, what does it mean, you know, to be a woman in this society, a black woman. Not only dealing with that, but also she having to live through the struggles of black life like everybody have struggles. We have lost family members. We have lost young children. We have lost many people to the system right. around that we grew up with. We have we have lost so much in those the, the everyday losses that everybody are going through. Then in some sense, the loss of your husband's mind mm. in a sense of his memory of so many powerful, beautiful stories that you have had together, but she kept going. She's still here. Right. You know, because our ancestors, you know, refuse to allow the brutality of white supremacy to snatch their lives from them because they refuse to allow that in some sense 
they gave they give us something profoundly spiritual like we we opened up this conversation like this they gave us something profoundly powerful something profoundly formative yes where in some sense you know sabbath for them with their hands Mm. we're looking for sabbath with our bodies Mm. We're looking for Sabbath with our bodies. And, you know, I always, as a kid, I, I always used to think, you know, I was my grandmother's favorite. Yeah, <laughs> you know, my cousin's listening to this. I love y'all. My brothers and sisters listening to this. I love y'all. Uh, but, but, but Dante is the but, favorite. <laughs> but, 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 I would have to say. <laughs> I am the favorite. I'm just letting y'all know. <laughs> I would have to say that oh my God. I thought I was the favorite. And, you know, I think, you know, my grandmother, you know, she knew. And, and this is not to say that I'm different from my cousins, but that I think, you know, for or my brothers and my sister. But she knew that there was I'm all, it's almost, you know, that she knew there was a unique task for me to accomplish mm-hmm. I knew it in some sense that she she must have known and so as we're talking at this table at the end of our conversation my grandmother grabs my hand as if in prayer and she looked me in my eyes and she said I'm proud of you mm-hmm. now I don't know what all she meant by that I just know I've never forgotten it and that that means something. You know, one of my favorite authors, Robin D.G. Kelly, he says, we must tap the well of our own collective imaginations that we do what earlier generations have done. And he put one last word, dream. Mm. He says, we must tap the well of our own collective imaginations that we do what earlier generations have done. Dream. That our tapping into this, our affirming, you know, begins again each day. Mm. Our joy begins again each day. That we, you know, in some sense, we are somebody. We are created, you know, in the image of God. And that, you know, because of that, we have value. We have worry. And you know, we're dreaming not just for ourselves, but we're dreaming for other people. Mm. We're dreaming of a better America. We're all people, no matter who they are, no matter what station in life, no matter where they come from, no matter what they identify as, that they are able to experience the same dignity that mm. we want for ourselves. We must remember that in this society, and even as we think about we're tired and we've experienced so much of so many unknowns and so much loss, that what we do not, I mean, what we have endured does not tell of our worth. We're not defined by what we endured, though that is tragic and hard. Mm. We're not defined by that. But Baldwin would say, that though we wholly do not believe it yet, that the interior life is real life. Mm. 
and that the intangible dreams of people have a tangible effect on the world. That how we dream today Mm. determines the world we see tomorrow. And I can only imagine that that moment of transfer of I'm proud of you meant for me that I must keep our story, this story of beauty, joy, struggle, courage in the face of loss, Mm. violence, alive and meaningful. It meant being black and proud. It meant being beautiful. That was so good. You know, um, on track, but kind of off track. I know for a fact, Jasmine, your wife, hates me. I know she hates me. (laughs) (laughs) I know she hates me because every every time she posts something funny, well, not every time, but really often recently, every time she posts something that's meant to be funny or like lighthearted, for some reason, I take in as so much deeper. There was a post that she put up today and it was really just referring to children and feeding them. Her post said how to uh, serve dessert to kids. It had two pictures side by side. One said dinner and then dessert. And the second one, the second panel said dinner with dessert. The description Mm. are... Or the description with it. She told me about this earlier. Oh my God. I'm ready for this. All right. No, but she didn't tell me everything about it. So I'm I'm actually excited by hearing this. Okay. Okay. I want to know what she said. (laughs) 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 But okay. So the description with dinner and then dessert says potential to obsess over dessert, rush through the rest of the food and see the meal as something to suffer through to get to the good stuff. And Mm. the description for dinner with dessert said all foods are equal. Dessert is not just another food that is not better or worse than the pasta, broccoli, and strawberries. Mm. Dessert is just another food that is not better or worse than the pasta, Mm. broccoli, and strawberries. And Mm. I saw this and immediately I replied and I put, wow, with like nine O's. Mm. I said, wow, this is deep. I'm taking this as much more than this post was meant to be, but this is a word, a Mm. word. And I replied and I, um, she put the laughing emojis, right? But my reply was that, that the reward is not after the suffering. There's this notion that we have to suffer through something to get to the good side, but usually it's the process that's the blessing. Dessert Mm. is not something to aspire to, but to always have Mm. in the picture, to always be Mm. thinking about. And then um, I said, the Bible tells us that God is not for the suffrage of us, but that each storm is for a reason. And Mm. even thinking about the description of the dinner, dinner and then dessert, where it says potential to obsess over the dessert and rush through the rest of the food, those two sentences the potential to obsess over the end, to obsess over our dream, right? To obsess over the end vision where we kind of rush through the process, where we just kind of take everything like, you know, like, okay, I have to go through this to be able to get to my Mm. blessing. 
I have to suffer to mm. be able to get to the end when in the in mm. in, in reality that's not it right mm. that's that's not the goal God tells us that he loves us and that there's a lesson in every storm but mm. I think so often we obsess with the dessert that we skip over the food to over the mm. meal and we just see it as something to suffer through instead of just enjoying the meal itself. Mm. My mama. That's deep, huh? My mama, that, that is, that is. I didn't, I didn't know you was going to drop a word on me like that. Today. My mama, my mama. All right. I'm gonna have to turn into preachers. Here, man. I, I, Let's get it. I, I need y'all. I need y'all listeners to go ahead and snap some fingers, drop drop a cash app or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Pass the server of, right. <laughs> hey, hey, we need Pass to collect an offering after that word. Yes. Oh my God. Oh man, that's so real. That's so good. You know, I want to know what she said though. I'll have to ask her and let you know. Okay. <laughs> But wow, that's so good. And, you know, even as we end this episode, you know, that is a note of joy mm-hmm. that even in the midst of struggle, there's the possibility of deep and profound joy. You know, even as, you know, as I think about you know, on the other side, you know, that kind of preacher theological language, you know, on the other yeah. side of crucifixion, there's resurrection. On the other side of Friday, there was always Sunday. And I think, you know, there was the possibility of joy in the mm. midst of struggle. That, you know, as we fight, as we resist, as we live, as we struggle, as we deal with confusion, as we are tired, we want to remember joy. We want to create space for joy in spite of. Yo, thank you. Modi, my God, that that was all right. This this was, we need to just go ahead and have hashtag therapy session with this. That was good, man. Hashtag therapy session. But we thank y'all for joining us for another episode of the Stories Between Us. It is the place where ordinary stories intersect in extraordinary ways so that one day a better story can be told. You know, if you've loved what you've listened to today, we would love for you to like, to subscribe, to share. Like, I don't know if you felt that, but I know I felt that. I needed I this. I felt it. <laughs> I felt I that. I needed it. Yeah. Uh, and if you felt this, I need you to go ahead, unash- like shameless plug right now. If you felt this episode, first, we thank you for getting through it. You know, there's so many different podcasts in this world today that you can listen to. So we thank you. Uh, for listening to the end, but we actually would love you to, you know, share with somebody else, you know, by you sharing this podcast with someone else, you are letting them know that you find something that we say meaningful. And that's the whole power of what we're trying to do right now. Yes. It's the power of stories that they don't just shape and change who we are. They have the possibility of changing the world where we live. And so like, subscribe and share. I'm Stu. And I'm Modi. 
and we 